Facebook this morning. My five-year-old ASD son just began kindergarten in a gen ed setting with a one-to-one -one shadow. Mm -hmm. He has some trouble paying attention and staying on task as well as processing multiple step group directions. Can you talk about some potential classroom or individual accommodations to address those challenges? It's right. a great question. Very good question. And it said five-year-old, what's... Uh, ASD mm -hmm. uh, just began kindergarten, okay. gen so ed. Kindergarten, general ed. One-to-one one -one shadow. And has a one-to-one -one shadow. Which, which can is... we just start by celebrating and saying, you rocked that, Yeah, Mom. seriously, you have like, that's, you have everything you need. You, that's right. You have the best toolbox right here. So, yeah, paying attention, I mean, there's a lot of different things I can, I'll throw, and the issue is mainly just paying attention, right, and following multi-step instructions Processing or directions. multi-step group, group directions. Right, so multi-step and group. Okay, so, I mean, I'll, I'll give you some general ideas, but I really, really suggest that you... Oh, go on skills where and do a full skills assessment because you're you know this is the perfect situation if you have a five-year-old um, in general education kindergarten my assumption and with a one-to-one aid though my, my assumption is when I when my five-year-olds get to kindergarten and they're in regular ed I they're doing pretty well they have language deficits and social deficits mainly but they don't really exhibit a lot of challenging behaviors anymore at this point and so my focus becomes teaching them all the advanced sort of pragmatic language issues and then also their social skills obviously which includes all the cognitive skills and executive functioning and all of that whole advanced curriculum area so if that's your child then please please go on skillsforautism.com and become a member. Like you will hugely, hugely benefit because you'll see a curriculum of ideas, essentially lessons and lesson plans and things to teach your child that are specifically for your child. Um, and you'll really benefit. We, we really have a, um, I, I would say pretty unique curriculum when it comes to the kind of higher functioning kids uh, five to eight. It's a very, very um, fantastic program. Um, I think you can even actually get it as a separate product on its own, you which can. is skills cognition. Uh Yes. Advanced cognition, right? I think I, that's what I we call it. I will find that out. I'm not sure yeah. the actual, because uh, it's new. Yeah, and I think it's called advanced cognition. Okay. I'm not sure, but we went through so many names. But anyway, that stuff is critical to you. Now, because it'll teach you everything. It'll show you how to teach your child everything from actually attending to uh, when it's appropriate to look at other kids and model from them to how to um, self-monitor, which is critical, um, to how to you know respond appropriately, how to, if you get lost and didn't catch the instructions from the teacher, what are your, what other things can you do to figure out where you are, to how to play on the playground, how to do lunch at school, how to get every, you know, everything you need for school essentially is in there. Now, having said that, you have, and you have a tutor, so that tutor um, should be trained um, you, you said one-to-one -one shadow or tutor yes, or something, shadow. so I, I assume this person is trained, and so they should be able to follow those lesson plans pretty well. Um, 
the some of the things you can do right away in school are kind of just environmental things so make sure that your child is kind of sitting in in an area that's least possible to be distracted so not by a window not on the last row you know not kind of, directly behind the blonde girl with the ponytail who swishes her head that's yeah. what they did with Jem the first week and then they went oops we need to move him yeah absolutely right, right. so put him, put your child in the front row preferably or where the teacher stands most often and um, you know you can ask the teacher the aide can set up <clears throat> a token system for the child uh, so a very very basic uh, you know paying attention like every time you follow an instruction or complete a task you get a star and at the end of the day X number of stars can get you some form of reward that's a token economy um, if your aide can't hit that do that then you can have a board certified behavior analyst produce one for you or you can also go to IBT Institute for Behavioral Training um, which the website is ibehavioraltraining.com and on there you'll find actually a module that trains you how to do token economies and that's really important because token economies are kind of tricky so you have to do them right. Um, so uh, those are some of the things that you can do to help your child feel more rewarded. Make sure the teacher is working collaboratively with you so that everything is broken down for your child so it's not overwhelming. Make sure your child is allowed things like frequent breaks, uh, a lot of reinforcers for staying on task. Make sure nobody removes your child if they don't stay on task or if they act out because then you're rewarding that behavior. What else is there in the in classroom? In terms of group, multi-step group right. directions. Right. So multi-step is very easy because it's a shaping procedure. I mean, you basically start with one step and then you go to um, rotating one steps, different things that are one step. And then you uh, tag on a second step and you can do it with backward chaining. So you'll have the child do, you'll model the first step and have the child carry out the second step on their own. And then you'll gradually have the child carry out two steps. So that shouldn't be hard and there's a million different examples of you know everything in our curriculum pretty much goes into multi-step it starts first step, one step and then multi-step so some of the th you know I, I, while you take a pause, I just want to yeah. point out for them listening that you understand one of the things that when, when you talk about shaping it, sometimes as parents we go, but I'm not there. And I just want to remind you that you can ask the teacher, what are the multi-step group directions that you give? And you can be yes. working that at home. Yes. Yeah. We had so much fun doing that at home before kindergarten that the transition during, uh, they would transition to four different groups for circle time. And we would do that and the whole family would participate and the therapist would do it. We would do the same thing that she had a chime that she would ring. So we did the whole, we practiced, we rehearsed what was going to happen in the classroom. And that seems like I, that didn't occur to me. Mm -hmm. It seems like, duh, well, why not? But I just want to point out that you can be doing those things at home. And when you give them the opportunity to do it 10 times at home, and then they do it once in the classroom with everybody else, and they see they're successful, it's like ding, 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 ding. And you should do it at home. And thank you for bringing that up because I keep making the assumption it's one of my kids, which means we've already <laughs> taught all the multi-step at home. You. This is the reason that we do so much intervention at home before the child is introduced to school because, you know, you don't, it, school is not necessary. When you're in school, you're supposed to be listening and learning content, like academic content. That's not 
a lot of us forget that and we think that, oh, school is the best place for my child to learn socialization. <laughs> it's not really. I mean, your child is socializing, obviously, because there are moments of time and that where they will socialize. And of course, your child is learning things like multi-step instructions in a group. But those are things that your child's supposed to already be familiar with. And when you try to teach it during the classroom setting and the child is trying to learn the content, the academic content, it's a little overwhelming. You're going to miss something. Yeah. So please practice these things at home. Um, you know, there's, I don't, there's, multi-step applies to so many things. Yeah. Everything in real life is multi-step, mm -hmm. you know. Get your lunchbox and go stand in line. That's two steps. Right. Um, fill out this question this flyer and the first section will be one thing and the second section will be another or you have to read it and circle it whatever everything is multi-step but so you really need to practice exactly the things your child's having a hard time with at home first so that's one thing in terms of group um you have an aid there. When we have aids in the classroom and an instruction is given, uh, the aid, and if the child is not paying attention, then the aid can prompt or model the child to listen at the correct time. But also, um, we actually use the group as models. So if the child misses the instruction given, then the child is prompted to kind of look at others and see what they're doing, and that helps them identify what they're supposed to do as well. Um, again, I it, usually the fact that there's other children there is not the reason that our child is losing um, attention. It's more because they're just distracted. So, uh, you know, one of the things we've even done is we've like set up a mock classroom. We used to call it mock classroom, and we'd have Initially, you'd have like our, our child when they're very young and a whole bunch of like stuffed animals or something pretending to be in a classroom. But ultimately, what you want to do is just do it with siblings, cousins, neighbors, whatever, and you pretend that at home too. So, you know, there's a lot of things you should just be practicing at home. Uh, school readiness stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a it's a great question. Great answers. Great things for you to do. Don't get overwhelmed. Don't. No, it's fine. This is fun stuff. It this is, is fun stuff. stuff. This is the this is the good stuff when you get to this point because it's all doable. Absolutely. Uh, and when and when you do work on these things, you're going to see a, a big jump. And make sure that you have fun when you're rehearsing them. We had a great time playing school, and he thoroughly enjoyed it. So. And don't get discouraged if you go on skills and you actually answer the assessment questions if you should find that there are more delays than you thought don't let that discourage you because these we're very very obsessive about things and we try to be just because of these situa situations because if you really obsessive about every little thing and you teach it to the child in great detail at home when they get to school they have a very strong foundation yeah. and i think that's really critical because you know i mean it's such a fluid situation and environments are changing all the time we want our kids to be very well equipped yeah but i always go back to you know thinking of an olympic athlete like when you were talking i was thinking about the guys who did the downhill Absolutely, jump yes. and thinking if if they decided to do the downhill jump and to start doing that on the mountain the first time yes. and all they 
ever did was rehearsed it on the mountain, they would keep missing moments in which they needed to make a change. Right. But they don't rehearse that way. They rehearse on equipment and they practice jumping on a you know a little balance beam uh, before they get to the mountain, and then they keep going back to the balance beam so that they get better at it. It's just right. building skills. Right. This isn't a new concept. Rehearsing things. It's why we practice fire drills so that Absolutely. when the actual thing happens, we'll have some memory of being able to do it. Absolutely. It's so exactly the same. Right. It's cool. Right. It's a cool and fun thing to do. Our next question. Hello and good morning. I have a son who is mainstreamed in the sixth grade with supports. He reads and writes at the third grade level. My problem is that he is extremely emotional with me and my husband. Anytime we have to talk about anything related to school or even the smallest request like, please put your plate in the sink, he cries and storms away. <laughs> he has always, uh, he has always, comes back to us very remorseful. He has had a low emotional control since he was a baby. We are very calm and supportive when we approach him, but it's the same reaction every time. What can we do differently? And thank you. Oh, so, you know, you need, um, you need some behavioral training. Um, it just sounds so adorable to me. I mean, I apologize for laughing. It's just, I find our kids so cute in that way because well, they're just, they're so, they're so adorable. Like they just react to the silliest things, you know. And I, I have to say, just in a, you know, you know, we're partners here, uh, kind of moment that uh, Jem has a friend who started homeschooling this mm -hmm, year. Mm -hmm. And he and his friend, they were walking home from the pool the other day, and I was walking behind them, and they were having a conversation. And the other boy turned around and said, you know, you should homeschool Jem. And I said, oh, you know, that would be interesting. And he said, why did you kind of laugh? And I said, because whenever I try to talk to Jem about anything having to do with school it's like a nine inch nail in his head the oh, way he reacts yeah of course and, he, and the kid said what do you mean and Jem said no it's true I hate it when she talks to me I hate it <laughs> I hate the sound of her voice when she talks to me about these things and and we were laughing about it but you know it hurts when our kids are that way just with us well I you know I I don't know it's something you have to just be okay with I guess you know I talk to my kids and I realize that I'm I'm being a psychologist for them and sometimes I, I think I'm a pretty good psychologist but they react like you know in a very negative way sometimes and I realize like okay it's just not working because I'm mom right like, I can't be psychologist I'm right. mom right and I think mom and dad have a different you are a different thing to the child you just are you're you're the place I go to for comfort. You're the place I go to for attention and all of that. And it's very hard for our kids to realize that you're also um, a human being and that you, you know, first of all, our kids have most of the time a deficit in theory of mind. So they have a real hard time realizing, oh, you know, this might hurt my mom and dad's feelings or I, what they're asking of me is not too much or any of those types of things. And, but these are yet such simple things to, to teach our kids. And really, I promise you, because this, when, if you have a behavior analyst come in and do a functional assessment, you will notice certain things that you never noticed before. We only do certain behaviors because they're rewarded. That's it. There's no other reason to do a behavior. We do behaviors mainly because we want to gain access to something or avoid something. 
period. And you said that your child, I think, reacts, for instance, if you ask him to do the most simple thing, which is put your uh, plate in the sink. Yeah. Right? So put your plate, uh, plate in the sink is a very, very simple thing. But when he does it, you potentially, or if he's done it, you would potentially say, good job. Thank you very much. Great. That means nothing to him. To a typical child, and I, I apologize, I'm saying him, him or her. I think, I think it is a boy. Yeah. He, so, you know, yeah. when, when you, a typical child, there is a reinforcer attached to just pleasing mom and dad. That's just, it's an inherent reinforcer that exists is, oh, I got mom and dad to smile. They're happy with me. They're proud of me. That's how our typical kids, that's why they do things. With our kids on the spectrum, it's not that meaningful for them because they don't really have that ability to kind of see how their action produced the positive response in you and it doesn't mean all that much to them so it's not a reward it's not motivating for them to do something to please you so and on the other end of the spectrum I don't know if you are when he doesn't do it are you freaking out? Are you having a reaction about it? And perhaps that's what he's more interested in is, oh, I kind of take them off or I, I got them to get upset or so that might be his reinforcer. So when, when you do a functional assessment, you realize that you, you base your, your reactions, um, which is the, the, the consequence or the reinforcer that you're giving the individual, the child, you base them off of what it, what is really reinforcing to the child. So, you know, if he places his plate in the sink, then he should get something that is really valuable to him. And it could be a huge reinforcer at first, could be a food item, it could be dessert. You only get dessert if you put your plate in the, in the sink and then you'll get dessert. Um, and you know and that and then you gradually if you do something that's a large reinforcer then you gradually reduce the amount of dessert and increase the demand you always start with a very slow demand very small demand and high reward and then you gradually reverse that right and increase the demand and reduce the reward but the the point is that first you have to really identify what's rewarding to him and what are you doing in the natural scenario and the natural consequences of his environment that's rewarding and you're not aware of it because something's maintaining this behavior of him reacting perhaps he reacts and then you give him attention I don't know and, that, and these are the things you find out through a functional assessment I would suggest a place to start is go to um, the cards BIP Builder, which I, I think the email, the website it's is skillsbipbuilder.com. Skillsbipbuilder.com. And in there you'll see it starts with what's called a CIFA, which is a card indirect functional assessment. You answer a bunch of questions there about the behavior. Um, when it occurs, what types of things happened before it, what types of things happen after it, and so on. And it takes you to the BIP Builder, which is Behavior Intervention Plan. And it specifically tells you how to uh, modify what it is you're doing. It'll give you like 20 suggestions on how to fix this problem. Okay. It's, and, this is very, very behavioral. This is yeah. a very easy thing to fix. And I know you get emotional about it because it's only towards you. Uh, but that's because probably it's harder for him to accept that you are, can also give negative contingencies. You possibly never have. 
And just know that every single parent who ever took a breath at some point inadvertently reinforced a behavior without realizing that they did it. You are not alone. Oh we've my all, gosh, no we've question. All done it. No question. And I still do it, even all, though I know better. We do it all better. the time. We do it all <laughs> right? the time, absolutely. So, so just know that it's not that you've taken the cart uh, off the wheels because you totally don't, you know, this happens. This is just part of what happens. And then we just learn new skills and we do things better and absolutely. everything gets better as a result of it. Absolutely. Um, so wonderful. Okay. Um, uh, great question here. I started a new job caring for an eight-year-old autistic child. Mm -hmm. He has an extreme case of speech delay. He is in speech therapy as well as many other therapies to help him learn and communicate. Do you have any suggestions that would help me to help him possibly talk more? For example, specific exercises, songs that might encourage his speech development. <laughs> That's a tough one. I mean, I'm yes, of course, we have a million things that you can do that would increase his speech development. Um, I guess the short answer to this would be go on skills for autism and go into the language curriculum. There's a whole section called preverbal, and there's a whole bunch of activities that have to do with just, uh, you know, oral motor exercises to do. And um, then there's I don't know, several hundred lessons that just focus on speech and language. So uh, my personal experience, and if you have speech therapists working on the case already, is have a conversation with them about prompt training, the prompt technique of, of getting speech. I have found that to be very effective with our kids. It's, it's just the technique used by certain speech pathologists who've been trained in it, and it involves touching specific sections of the mouth in order to produce a sound, and it really is pretty effective. Like, it, it's a really good uh, technique. Um, and another thing you could do is if, if there's, you know, first of all, again, with speech development, you need tons and tons of practice. So if you're working with this child, any free moment of the day, you should be practicing, rehearsing exactly what the speech therapist does. I would hope that this is someone who is getting a lot of ABA as well as speech because ABA will help the child also develop a lot of language. And um, my personal feeling is that when people get speech therapy, it's usually two, three hours a week max and it's not enough. Yeah. You need something like 30 hours a week or 20 hours a week of just continued practice. Okay. And I, you know, you wrote that you, you started a new job caring for an eight-year-old. And I'm wondering if you've had experience with ABA before. I will just say to oh, you yes. that I'm very slowly doing the RBT and loving it. If you want to learn how to be really effective with this child, you can go to ibehavioraltraining.com. Uh, there are so many lessons there for, there's lessons for professionals, there's lessons for teachers, there's lessons for parents, but there's also something now called an RBT designation where you can actually get a certification. Mm -hmm. which will be very useful to you for this job and for other jobs. But beyond that, just doing the different modules and you can buy them individually. They're very inexpensive, $7, some of them, um, and and become more effective. Yes, uh, and, and it is, you're very right, Shannon, and the RBT is Registered Behavior Technician and it'll be very valuable to you to have that um, credential. And it, it requires 40 hours of training uh, modules that you can take in short segments here and there online, and then a certain amount of practicum and oversight with a board certified person who you, I'm sure you can, we can also help you find. I mean, we have BCBAs all over the country, but 
um, you know, the IBT does a whole training and they provide the supervision as well. Yeah. So amazing opportunity for you to be able yes. to learn an amazing set of new skills. I love the fact that you're interested in that. You want to know more about how to help this child. We can use more people like you. Yes, uh, absolutely. So, so what get a lucky that family to yes, have you. Absolutely. This next one. Hi, Dr. Doreen. My son is a card client and my supervisor finally got me an appointment to see you. Oh, cool. Uh, what do I need to do to prepare, prepare for your consultation? I'm so excited to finally meet you. This is a great question about, you know, here's this time, they want to be able to use it wisely. So what do I'm they really need to excited. do? I'm really excited. You don't really need to do anything. Your supervisor will bring everything with them. I mean, either you're one of our clients. We've had a lot of um, new technology at CARD. Um, so either you're one of those people whose case is completely, depending on which office you're at, is completely on the iPad now. So I'll have all access to all your data. Uh, typically, when a supervisor brings a family, they, they come and they will also give me a summary report before I see you, and I will have access to all of your behavioral stuff. Now, what would be very helpful is if you could bring medical records when you come to see me, because I'd love to know some medical history. and. That's about it. I just need to be able to see reports, medical history, and then your logbook essentially will be on the iPad or you will bring the logbook. If you're not on the iPad, bring your logbook because okay. I need to look at that. And then we'll spend a couple of hours and review things, answer your questions. I will generally re um, talk to you first, see what your main issues are, and then I will um, try to address those first, some more global issues. And then after that, I will go through every single program and try to review the whole program and see where you're at, give you some idea of the next steps, um, see what your supervisor is doing. If I have any feedback for them, I will give that. So yeah, it'll be a fun thing to, we'll have fun. It's yeah. always fun for me. And some of the best advice I've ever gotten about when anytime you meet with any kind of professional is before you go to write your questions write down. Write down your questions. So, so that's that helpful, because yeah. you get nervous or something happens and it distracts you and you think, oh, I forgot to ask about that. How could I have forgotten? That was the most important thing. So I not only, not only write my questions out, but then I rearrange them in terms of the priority right. of what I want answered the most, what I'm the most concerned about. And then I try to take a couple of minutes uh, like during the week before going to an appointment to find a quiet time to sit down and think about the meeting and how what I want to accomplish right and just visualize that and um, so that I go in and I feel like it's all gonna go really how I want it to go right and the truth is is that when I do that when I take the time and I do this before an IEP meeting too is I try to sit down and just take a quiet moment and visualize going in because sometimes you feel like you know in an IEP meeting especially you feel like oh I'm gonna I'm worried about this and what if this happens and um, with you it'll, it's all all going to be just fun and light and oh whatever. yeah yeah but they will be nervous i'm sure the first time i met mm. you i was so nervous you could have bounced a quarter off my head no no um, it's, it's a really fun if i enjoy it i mean sometimes parents are in a tough place yeah and obviously it's not a fun thing but i'll you know hopefully i i don't my meetings are always positive yes. i mean i'll You'll help have or we'll time. have fun yeah um, and so enjoy it. But, you know, when you take that time to kind of be centered about what do I hope to achieve? Right. Um, then no matter what happens, you know why you're there. Right. And right. that's always a helpful thing. I mean, and that also goes to the other question where the family had written about being in one of our East Coast offices. Yes. I really just want to be able to connect with that family in order to be able to help with whatever issues they're having. Okay. Because, um, you know, that it's sort of more of an operational type question about 
card and I don't want to ignore it by any means uh, but I want to have I want to know what's going on with you so yeah. that I can help okay we like that I'm gonna move on to the next question hi Shannon and dr. Doreen my 13 year old covers his ears when he's nervous not necessarily sound related he's anxious of unexpected on off sounds mm -hmm, he covers mm -hmm, his ears mm -hmm. for fear of hearing no to a question <laughs> or he thinks we caught him doing something more recently he was uh, fine hearing a streetcar bell until I pointed to the streetcar as a novelty. We were in a part of town we don't usually go to. Why do you think he does this and how do we uh, and okay, how do really. we help him? Thank you. It's so great to learn about autism and laugh at the same time. We have to laugh. I yeah. mean, it's just a requirement. <laughs> right? It is, it is. Can't lose the sense of humor. It is. All right. So, why, what why can we do, do to I help think, him? Yeah, I mean, I think you probably got it right in the sense that it's um, it is probably a, a, the startle reaction to a sound coming on or off. Um, and it could also be just lack of control over the, the sound. And it could also be unfamiliarity with what the sound is. So if you hear a sound that is a familiar sound, um, you'll immediately be able to place it in terms of what it is. It might startle you, but you'll be able to place, oh, okay, this is the sound of, even if it's something uh, unusual. So if it's a usual sound, like let's say my phone ringing, okay, that's nothing, because I know the sound immediately, I'll recognize it and it won't startle me and I'll be fine with it, and I know what to do about it. If it's an unusual sound, it startles me to some extent, but then I kind of know how to handle it, like let's say a fire alarm, mm -hmm. okay? Now, if it's a very unusual sound, like so let's say in California you hear something like, uh, you know, the sirens for tornadoes, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you've heard those. Yes. You wouldn't even know what to do with it and you'll stay in panic mode for a while, right? It's kind of like, what the hell is this? I wouldn't have known if I hadn't experienced it in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have known what this is, right? And so you basically, the more familiar you are, the better it is. Now, in general, if you are in control of it, you will have much, much better reaction to it. So, for instance, uh, perhaps practice that. Perhaps give him items like uh, whatever it might be, a timer, uh, buzzer, whatever, things where he can control the onset and offset of the, the sound. So control always reduces problems. And then beware of your own reaction to it. Because if he does this and then you start to, oh, don't do that or whatever, you might be giving attention to something that is increasing just because of the attention factor. In other words, he realizes that whenever he does that, you attend to him. Um, in which case, if that's the case, then you would want to ignore it completely and just, you know, walk away when he does that very simply so those are just some suggestions but again when it's a specific behavior that you want to deal with i really do recommend that you also go to um, skillsbipbuilder.com and there you do the CIFA, the in, in indirect functional assessments we have there that's where it, all these questions will be asked, like when does he do it, what do you do when he does it, under what circumstances, all this sort of bunch of questions, and then it'll give you some possible reasons. And then once you know the reason, it, it's very easy to pick the behavioral intervention that deals with it. In my personal experience, most of the time it's a combination of things. 
So there is a startle factor, there is a sound sensitivity factor to some extent, and then a lot of times there's a um, getting attention factor. Okay. Uh, this next question, which is so interesting to me, how do you explain social norm to our kids? Yeah. When my son was seven, he was flapping in public. We told him quiet hands. He asked why, and we told him that <laughs> no one else around is flapping. He then said, why don't we ask the other people to flap? He made a really good point, and I was speechless. He is now 13, and we need guidance of how to tell him about his social awkwardness without hurting his feelings. He is nervous and self-conscious. Thank you. I look forward to your shows every day. I love this question. It's a fabulous question, and your child is ridiculously high-functioning, and that is so intelligent. What an amazing thing to say. And, you know, and you are very intelligent because the way you're looking at it is unique and it is true i mean it's very very hard to 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 um define social norms because also they change right mm -hmm. i mean you know if you look at when our parents grew up or even when we were very young um, certain things were just not acceptable as social norms for instance two men walking hand in hand and kissing would be extremely unacceptable uh, 50 years ago, right? Yeah. Or even 40 or even 30. But now, in our, as our children grow up, it is completely acceptable. It is totally norm, right? So social norms change. And so that's one thing. And if, if it's something is changing, it's impossible to define because it can always change. So the way that I would I wouldn't try to define social norm. I would try to get my child to understand the whole concept of um, being accepted and fitting in, I suppose. And I think the best way to do that is um, to videotape um, him and videotape other people and perhaps videotape him in a setting with other people. Uh, if you can capture the the kind of unusual social things he does, if you can capture them on video. And then to explain to him or ask him what he wants. I, and most of the time when you have high-functioning children like this, they want to fit in. They want to have friends. And uh, I would use... Uh, uh, comic strips, which are basically cartoon characters that you draw, like uh, stick figures, and that would be him, and that would be the other people, and here he is doing some odd behavior, which I assume is not hand flapping anymore, but it's some other thing, and the other people are looking at him, and then you would do like a thought bubble, and ask him, what are they thinking, and uh, what are they feeling, they're probably feeling a little confused, why is he doing that, they're thinking, oh, he's different, and uh, maybe we don't really want to play because he's different and uh, he may, it may not look very cool um, depending on his his age and so on. And you, you essentially start to get him to understand how people, other people view that behavior. And then it's his choice. In other words, sometimes, you know, you have kids who want to do something completely different and stand out. Like, let's say, teenagers who go the goth path, right? I mean, part of their whole the uh, thing is, I want to look different, yeah. you know, I want to have black everything. And that is what, that's their security blanket. I'm so different, you can't touch me. 
And then other times you have kids who want to be invisible. They don't want to stand out in any way. And that's probably the norm, really, as most kids at certain ages don't want to stand out at all. They just want to not, they want to be part of a group. And so if he wants to be part of a group, he has to resemble the group. Yeah. And resembling the group means not hand flapping or not doing these other things. And I think that's kind of the approach you want to take because, um, you know, it's, it's your choice. Do you want to stand out or do you want to fit in? And, and you must have a very, very detailed understanding of theory of mind and cognition of other people in order to get these concepts because otherwise you would have really a hard time understanding why how other people perceive you. I, you know, one of the things that I've come to very recently, like in the last two weeks, is that all kids have these issues oh, around yes. these same oh, years. Absolutely. And that we in the autism community, I think sometimes we feel that it's more severe with us in this time period, but we get a toolkit that a lot of parents don't ever get right. if we want to use it. Right. We have the tools to be able to help our child navigate this time. Oh. Um, and, and it's a blessing in some ways because I'm looking at all my friends who have neurotypical, ki neurotypical kids and what they're going through and they are lost in yes. this moment in yes. time. Yes. Um, and, uh, or at different moments in time. I mean, I see this these issues, Shannon, coming up with my 13-year-old and with my 19 year old and with my 16 year I mean this is stuff that happens at, at different ages yeah. and it, um, it's, it's I would I don't know about you my me personally I don't think I became the person I am until my 30s mm. like I think that you're very much up and down up and down and, and reactive to your environment and to the to your peers and people and so on until much later in life yeah. that's what forms you and shapes you so there is no way that you become just kind of, uh, everybody's unique. So everybody has certain things they do better, certain things they do worse, certain things that others perceive are cool, certain things that others perceive are ought. Everybody has those things. Uh, it's just a matter of coming to a certain balance. Why? Why do we do that? Why do we dress nice? Yeah. Well, just because it's part of what other people will judge us on or accept us on. Otherwise, you'd walk around in your pajamas, right? Which is, would be my preference, it yes. It would be so nice. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I'm learning, too, the importance of tribe. Um, exactly. Thank you. That's the word. Because I, um, I'm seeing that both with my child and in my life and in all my friends' children and in their lives, that when you have a tribe, yes. the, and that means that there is, you can be unique within the tribe, but the tribe accepts you for your uniqueness, then you have everything. And what a fabulous word. I mean, I never thought that the word tribe would have so much meaning to me, but it truly does. Because tribe is are your folks. These are the people that are common to you. You are common to them. You are they care they follow around with you. You go with them. They are your security blanket. They're your tribe. Do you know who gave me that word in this context was Eustacia Cutler, who is Temple mm -hmm, Grandin's mm -hmm, Dr. Temple Grandin's mm -hmm. mother and cuz I said to her in a recent interview, I said, "What do you think you were so far ahead of your time yes. with what you did with Temple? What do you think you did that was that changed things and you were so successful?" And she said, "I will tell you. I think it was the moment in time in which I had her because it was right after World War II, World War II and she said it was a time when women allowed 
each other to get closer because our men had just come back from war and all of our kids were all of our kids. And she said, there were so many women in our community who Amazing. took Temple in to their homes and forced their children to socialize with her, even though she was different and they didn't know what it was because we were a tribe. It's so true. It's you so know? true. And having a tribe is so amazing. Like, it's just incredible. I see that with the... Uh, my husband's family, you know, mm -hmm. his family is so large that their tribe of 40 people. Uh -huh. And it's so incredible. It just really is. It's yeah. it, talk about sharing children. Oh, you yeah. know, like everyone is all at each other's place and it's, it's a tribe. Yeah. Well, I don't think amazing. I had found my tribe until I was in the autism community. And now I have found my tribe. And that's such an amazing tribe. Of, it really uh, is. Uh, and I, my, my, my favorite tribe ever. I'm it, glad I'm yeah, here. Absolutely. Right? I mean, it's just. Yeah. It's a bunch of really incredible people. Yeah. I yeah, agree. Amazing. Uh, okay, I'm going to move on to another question because we're getting out of time. Uh, okay, uh, hi ladies, thank you for your show. My son is four and a half and having problems with his tracing, coloring, and grasping of writing tools. He just started a typical preschool and his private OT sees him in the classroom. She says he shuts down and his demeanor changes when he has to work on anything to do with writing. He can only trace at this time, but doesn't know how to hold the writing tools properly. My question is what type of reinforcer could they use that are discreet since the other kids won't be getting this I wanted to give him some I give them some ideas he loves uh, his iPad but that would not work in the classroom thanks for the ideas just trying to keep him moving forward good for you yes bless you um, he, I, this is again, though, one of those scenarios where we think that these, these, these tasks only should be worked at at school and that's not the case um, obviously you need some reinforcers he needs practice uh, this is a motor skill this is to begin with it's a motor deficiency which you can overcome very easily but you will need to practice it motor skills to take a lot of repetition so um, and there's so you should practice it at home this is number one um, I would reinforce it with whatever is meaningful to him at home obviously iPad might be a little you want to have reinforcers that are small because you want to be able to give them and they only take a very short period of time away from him because otherwise you know you're doing a little bit of practice and half an hour of reinforcement you're not going to get too much done so it's going to you need to do you know worksheets and you'll have worksheets where he's tracing and you gradually reduce the uh, the thing that he's tracing over so he can't see it and he's writing um, but you should also purchase for him a bunch of tools there are a lot of things like uh, grips that you put on the pencil which makes the thing bigger and it's triangular in shape so it actually shows you how to hold the thing that's a very the pincer grasp is really important it's one of the first things you have to teach the child so you kind of have to teach the child how to hold a lot of kids still write like this a lot of kids write like weird ways if you do this this is the natural way to do it and it's the right way to do it and then it's just a matter of correct pressure and then um, going over lines we have a ton of different tricks that we if you go in our curriculum uh, academic curriculum there's a lot of tricks there 
but please practice it at home and give him assistance on modeling. And and just so, we've done a whole series of shows on pincer and tripod oh, grasps before. You can search that in our YouTube. Um, and and those those different um, things those that you, grips. pencil grips, mm -hmm. they they are in them and of, um, of themselves very reinforcing, letting them pick out, and you can get a bucket of them that they can choose which one. They have ones that are in the shape of a dinosaur. Yeah. That they have to put their fingers on the legs of the dinosaur and ones that light up, ones that are gushy, oh, yeah. ones They're that are awesome. glitter. I mean, there's right. everything under the sun, every character under Absolutely. the sun. You can get those that are really cool. And in the beginning for us, one of the things that we did, one of the many, many, many things to start with tracing because the getting those little plastic things that you trace of no interest to him no, whatsoever. No, no, no. But um, we, uh, Sabrina had us get benderoos and you've mm -hmm. seen those. Uh, you can get them at any toy store now and they're like little pieces of they look, they look like, like candle wax. Yeah, um, yeah. But they bend and they'll change shapes. And so he would help to bend them, which works on the tripod grip too, to bend them in the shapes of letters. And then he would trace inside those letters. Right. And sometimes in the beginning, they bent the letters for him, but it forces, they put the pencil in, there's no place it can go. And there's something about it that's It's just more fun. fun. You have to make it fun. We use a lot of, another thing we use is glue, mm -hmm. the colored glue, because it's very thick. And if you do it with a border, then the mm -hmm. child stays inside the border but I mean you have to make it fun and it, again it's a motor skill so it requires repetition yeah so uh, but make that as fun as you possibly can and and work your way up to other things it, it happens it, and it takes time but it actually when you look back you'll go oh that didn't take so long yeah <laughs> okay so somebody says hi I live in Cornelius Oregon can I get my son's services from card here many thanks you are in Oregon. Oregon's mandate for insurance coverage just passed. Yay, I don't think I even knew that. Yes. Thank you. So I think that was like two weeks ago or something. It just literally passed in the last couple of weeks. So yes, you can absolutely get coverage. Um, in fact, we're trying to start a center in, in the Portland area. I don't know where you are. Uh, perhaps you would help us. Um, we need to gather some children so that we have enough clients to actually start a center. Um, the person, fortunately, who deals with starting our centers is John Galley, and he's also the director in charge of um, remote services. So he would be the person to go to if we don't open a center there, in which case you would need remote services. That means a supervisor comes out to you um, regularly and hires people in the area, trains them, and starts a program for you and keeps coming out. Um, and he would also be the person to deal with if you had you know, five, ten other kids who might be interested in services, in which case he would set up an open shop and hand it over to operations. So we were, we're happy to help you. Um, you should really get in touch with John Galley at CARD. His email is j.galley, G-A-L-L-E, at centerforautism.com, centerforautism.com, spelled out. Okay, great.